Let me pray again for just a second. Lord, uh, thinking of the Sunday school lesson this morning, talking about the Trinity and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we're aware that it is your Spirit, Jesus promised us, that is the one who makes real to us you and your things. And we place ourselves in your hands this morning, Lord, ask your Spirit to make real to each one of us those things you want us to take away from here this morning. And and ask that the truth of the Incarnation, as we contemplate that again this Christmas season, would impact us in the way you mean it to. We give ourselves to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know, for you guys, the, the Christmas season is a fun time. There's a lot going on. One of my favorite Christmas stories is uh, Dr. Seuss, the Grinch who stole Christmas. Is there anyone here who has not read this story? Or anyone willing to say they haven't? Okay. You know, it's, uh, it's one of his best-known stories, of course, and it, it's also rerun every year on TV. So even if you didn't grow up reading the story from the book, you see it on the TV every year. And, you know, the Grinch is a dandy fellow, isn't he? I mean, he's green and fuzzy, he looks a little weird, but he hates Christmas. And, you know, in the story, uh, frankly, I'm not exactly sure what Christmas means in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. I'm not sure what the the Christmas story in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas is. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, the Grinch hates Christmas in the, in the Christmas story there. And so the Grinch hates the stockings, the toys and the noise, the feasting with who pudding and my favorite who roast beef, roast beast. He hates everything, especially the singing on Christmas morning. And so you guys know the story, he gets a wonderful, awful idea, and he dresses up like Santa, and his little pooch gets to be the reindeer, and they slither into town before Christmas, and anything of the stuff in Whoville that is remotely related to Christmas, he takes, right? He stuffs it in the big bag, the trees, the food, the gifts, you know, all the wrappings, everything, stuffs it in the big bag, heads back up the mountain. And if you remember in the story, up on the mountain, as the morning is dawning, he stops because he's just waiting for that moment when the Who's wake up and they realize that Christmas has been stolen. There's no Christmas. And he's going to hear the, the wails and the cries because their Christmas is gone. He won't hear that singing. He's going to hear the wailing and the crying. So he pauses on the mountain and he listens and he listens and it says, and they're, they're singing anyway. And it says, the sound wasn't sad. Why, the sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so. But it was merry. Very. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing. Without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. It came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Nicholas, have you ever heard that story? Cool story, yeah. Uh, so, the Grinch who stole Christmas. But my question is, did the Grinch steal Christmas? Or did the Grinch save Christmas? 
Because in the integrity of the story, whatever Christmas meant, Havu Horus, Havu Chorus, welcome, welcome Christmas, what does that mean? I have no idea. But whatever Christmas meant, the Grinch actually, by stripping away all the stuff, he rendered Christmas in that story down to whatever its bare essential was. And so at the end of the day, he really didn't steal Christmas. He really saved Christmas because he took it down to its bare essentials. And I simply want to be an advocate this Christmas season for you guys. You don't have to don green fuzzy skins or red Santa hats to do this. But I would say think like a Grinch this Christmas so that you can save Christmas in all the best ways. Think like a Grinch, not to steal it, but simply to remove from it the extracurriculars that don't let us see the value of the incarnation the way God wants us to. And I'm going to offer a few suggestions to you here this morning. No doubt you'd have some of your own. The first is this, celebrate Christmas as the incarnation. And to be incarnate means that God put on flesh. He became one of us. He took on our humanity, our skin and bones. That's what Christmas is. It is, in fact, a celebration of the incarnation, isn't it? Now, we're all good Christians, no doubt. We know that, right? But let me, let me linger on this for just a second. You know, it's uh, amazing that words, the way words are used over time, they lose their meaning, don't they? Or meanings change. So, for instance, Christmas, you know, how many here know what Christmas means? The word Christmas, right? right? It's about a thousand years old, Christ's Mass, right? Because back a thousand years ago when the Roman Catholic Church was all there was, the celebration of the Incarnation was done with the Mass. So the Christmas was the celebration of the Incarnation by a Roman Catholic Mass, Christ's Mass. That's what it was. Christmas is the Incarnation, and that term goes back a thousand years or so. You know, I know in our culture in this time some of us are offended by the use of the term ex-mass. How many here find that offensive? That we take Christ out of Christmas, right? Okay, now just a little history on ex-mass, okay? Uh, ex-mass goes back about 500 years, and it's, it's not agnostic, it's not atheistic, it's not pagan. It's Christian. You know, in Greek, the, the Greek letter chi looks like our X, doesn't it? And of course, in Greek, chi is the first letter of Christos, of Christ. So Xmas, if you knew this, Xmas is Christmas. It's going back to the Greek and it's saying Christ by the way the people in the day knew it, by its Greek letter. Now, a lot of people I know today use Xmas as a way of removing Christ. But I think the joke's on them, Christy, actually, because we know better. 500 years ago, Christians were saying, Kai, Christ's Mass, Christmas. Just to say, Christmas is the incarnation. That's what this season is about, for us as Christians at least. And so, one of the things I try and do in my own mind, and I encourage you to think about doing as well, instead of thinking about it just as Christ's Mass, Christmas, or Xmas, or anything else, I use the term in my own mind, Incarnation. Because the word, the incarnation, has not lost its meaning. You know, it hasn't been used such that Christmas might just mean to a lot of people happy holidays. It's the holiday season. If you're not a Christian in the States, Christmas means going home, it means shopping, it means a lot of things, but may have nothing to do with Christ. So I try and use the term in my mind and in my conversation, the incarnation. Because that's going back to what we're really talking about. As Christians, at least, Christmas is the incarnation. 
The next thing I'm going to say may sound sacrilegious, so just bear with me for just a minute, okay? This Christmas, lose baby Jesus. Lose baby Jesus. When I say this in my mind, I say it like this. Little baby Jesus. Lose little baby Jesus. And, and by that, I mean this. Uh, if I celebrate my birthday, I had a birthday not long ago, and family and friends gathered with me, and we celebrated my birthday. When they celebrated my birthday, they're looking at, at Mike as he is. 54 years old, uh, and they're remembering or celebrating a birth 54 years earlier, right? But they're not in any way mistaking Mike as I am with Mike as I was, right? It's a celebration of a birthday, but there's no mistake about this is Mike today, but 54 years ago he was born. And I just want to suggest that as we think about Christmas and the Incarnation, we think about it in those terms like a birthday celebration of another person. One of the things I'm concerned about is this. In the Christmas season, and sometimes especially from parents to children, we talk about Jesus as if his permanent mailing address is a manger in Bethlehem. And we make a caricature out of God with us that we call little baby Jesus. Uh, there's a silly movie. I can't even remember the name. And there's a race car driver who, as he's praying at his family's table, talks about little baby Jesus. And I think, frankly, the way we talk about the incarnation sometimes, that's what it amounts to. That we have relegated Jesus to the permanent status of a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And that's what we're talking to our kids about. But guys, Jesus hasn't been in a manger for 2,000 years. So that when we talk about the incarnation, we are celebrating a point in time in which God became one of us, but we are not relegating Jesus to baby status forever. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in a Roman Catholic household. We had crucifixes on the wall. And you guys know that the cross is the symbol of Christ for the world because it's what Jesus hung on. It's the defining symbol of Christianity. So you take a cross and then you put an image of Jesus hanging on the cross, right? And that's a crucifix. Now, Jesus in the manger... And the crucifix, I get it both ways, that the crucifix reminds us of a point in time in which Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth on a cross to pay for our sins. But just like the manger, Jesus hadn't been on that cross for 2,000 years. And Jesus is elevated far above all glory and power. And he's seated today at the right hand of the Father in heaven, waiting until all things have been put beneath his feet. He'll come back and he'll reclaim his bride, the church, and take us to be with Him forever in glory. That's Jesus today. So that when we celebrate the Incarnation, His birthday, we want to see Jesus today as He is. We don't want to reduce Him to the baby again. He's not a baby anymore. So celebrate His birthday the way you would someone else's. He was born at a point in time. But today He's the Lord of glory over heaven and earth in heaven. And we remember and we give thanks for the incarnation, but it doesn't stop at little baby Jesus. We remember Jesus as He is today. Hebrews 2 verse 9 says it this way, We do see Him who was made for a little while lower than the angels. That's the incarnation. Jesus was made for a little while lower than the angels in His humanity. Namely, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory 
and honor. Death, there's the crucifixion. Crowned with glory and honor, that's the resurrection, and that's his status today. Hebrews 2.9, him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, that's the incarnation, because of the suffering of death, crucifixion, crowned with glory and honor, resurrection and glory, that's the status today. So as we're thinking about and celebrating Christmas, that is the incarnation, we want to see Jesus as he is today. We don't want to reduce him to a caricature as we think about it or as we communicate him to others as well. The third point on this first category is remember that this baby was born to die. Um, it's easy and it's warm and fuzzy to think of a baby in the stall. That's a warm, fuzzy picture, and we like that. That's the embraceable Jesus, isn't it? It's a baby, it's cuddly, he might need us even, let's say. But if Jesus came to the earth and he did not die for our sins, you know, the incarnation would be no more than an additional level of responsibility on us and on our judgment, right? <clears throat> if Jesus comes to the earth, He takes on our humanity, he, he tells us about the Father, He reveals God to us, and then He goes back to the heaven, you and I are no better off than we were before. The incarnation loses its meaning if it's not attached to the crucifixion, the bloody crucifixion and Jesus' glorious resurrection. The incarnation loses its meaning if we don't tie it to those other two elements. Because the baby in Bethlehem can't save us. And Jesus walking on the earth, he doesn't save us either. It's only Christ crucified, his blood covering my sins and yours, that's the God who can save us. So Emmanuel, God with us, this is a good thing, but it's only a start. And if we don't get the incarnation as only phase one of this program of redemption, we're selling God and Jesus short. So that we want to bring in the elements of Jesus' death and resurrection, even, maybe especially, into our celebration of the incarnation, because without those others, guys, we remain lost. We're lost in our sins. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 1.15, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus didn't come here just to reveal the Father. He did that. He didn't come here to reveal more of what the truth was. He did that. Paul says, no, He came into the world to save sinners. And the incarnation alone does not do that. The purpose of the incarnation was to save you and I, and that does not happen at the incarnation alone. That's simply phase one. John 1.29, this was a verse we looked at in the context of Genesis 22. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that when we think of the incarnation, we need to think of where Jesus was headed in his humanity and taking up his humanness. That was for the sake of going to the cross as our substitute. And so as you're thinking about the incarnation this season, in my mind, I want to bring a bit of resurrection Sunday morning into my celebration of Christmas and the incarnation. Because without that, the incarnation loses its meaning and its significance. We don't have a Savior in the incarnation. We only have a Savior once the one who became incarnate died for our sins and rose from the dead. Jesus in the manger cannot save anyone. The incarnation without the crucifixion and resurrection leaves us without a Savior singing funeral dirges without Christmas carols. 
When you guys talk about Christmas to others this Christmas season, include the crucifixion and the resurrection because that's the complete story. In fact, how about this? How about celebrating the Lord's Supper if, you're, if the group you're with on Christmas or Christmas Eve or afterwards is appropriate? This wouldn't be appropriate in every setting, no doubt. What about celebrating the Lord's Supper as part of your Christmas Day meal celebration? What about practicing the priesthood that we all share in Christ and breaking the bread and drinking the juice or the wine and remembering that Christ didn't just come as a baby and take on our humanity, but He came as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world through His death and then raised from the dead for our justification. How about bringing a bit of Easter, of Resurrection Sunday into our celebration of the Incarnation? This would be a great way to do it if the group you're with, if that would be appropriate. So refocus our celebration on the Incarnation and then God's larger plan in redemption. The second point there, think like a shepherd. Luke 2 is probably the best known of all the gospel accounts of Jesus' arrival on earth. Think like a shepherd. Uh, By the way, you know, in the biblical world, shepherds were the lowly. Now we think of King David, he's a shepherd, what a great guy. But you know, shepherds were kind of like trash men, poor farmers. They were in Jesus' day, they were the lowly ones in Israel. They weren't exalted and high. They were the lower level, the lower echelons of Jewish society when Jesus came to the earth. And that's who God showed up and spoke to. Those shepherds on the hill, if you remember, angels, they're terrified, don't be afraid. You remember in Luke 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, when the angels had gone away from talking to the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. My point here, these guys were not intellectual elites. They were just simple guys who were taking care of the sheep on the hills. In other words, if they could go out and tell other people what they'd seen and heard, you know what, I'll bet there's a pretty good chance we could too. If they were adequate witnesses of the incarnation, I'll bet you and I can be adequate witnesses too. And one of the things I love about Christmas, for us as Christians, if we're thoughtful about this, Christmas, the season of the incarnation, it's a great time to be talking to others about Christ. We basically have an open door during this season to talk to others about Christ. Because even if they're not celebrating Christmas or thinking about it, as the incarnation, Jesus' birthday. It's still, it's in the air. It's in some of the shows. It's around. And we have a great open door, I think, at this season of the year to practice evangelism. So a lot of us at this time of year send out Christmas cards. You know, don't send out the inane ones with just a picture and happy holidays or whatever. You know, you've got the opportunity to send out something that includes the gospel. The reason for the incarnation, Jesus' death and resurrection. This is a great time of year to do just what the shepherds did. And all they did was they told others what they'd seen and heard. You can buy a card and do that. You know, a lot of people like to send out end-of-the-year letters. Sort of this is a synopsis, a quick take on our life over the last year, Christmas season. What if you just use that letter to say, and this is what God's been doing in our life. This is what we've seen and we've heard. This is what Christ means to us. This is the value of the incarnation to us. This is not hard. And all of us have a story. 
Those shepherds were just witnesses. They didn't work anything up. They just told other people, hey, this is what happened. This is what we heard. This is what we saw. And you and I can do that. And this is a great time of year to do it. To be intentional about sharing the gospel, the message of hope, because it's the season of the incarnation of Christmas. Related to gift giving, I'll mention something else in a minute, but let me mention this. As you're thinking about gifts to others and thinking about being a shepherd, thinking like a shepherd, what about buying some of those gifts that would communicate something about Christ specifically? Now, if you want to give your dad a great or a lousy tie, that's great too, or socks or sweaters or, you know, whatever, whatever the Christmas giving is, great, go for it. However, along with that, or instead of one of those gifts, what about something to someone for whom this would be significant? What about a Bible to someone or a study Bible to your friend or your relative? Or what about uh, a Christian CD? By the way, all Christian music is not equal. Something with good lyrics and great music. What about something that they would be reminded about the importance of Christ in the world, in our life, because they take away something that musically reminds them later. We live in a culture that loves music. You can give Christian music, thoughtful Christian music, and that can bless somebody for a long time. It can remind them the value of Christ. Or we've got, uh, you've got electronic books, you've got blogs, you can download teachings, you can give books, you know what I'm saying? You can leave someone with a Christmas gift that would remind them of the importance of Christ long after Christmas Day is over. Just by being a little thoughtful in some of the gifts you give. Doesn't have to be all of them. Just one or two here or there, just thinking strategically. What could I give that would communicate something of the significance of Christ to those folks I'm thinking about praying for, giving gifts to anyway? Just do something along that line. It's a great season for that. So think like a shepherd and simply tell others what you have seen and heard. Last point I want to make is imitate God in your giving. And by this I mean thinking about giving again here. Don't practice sheer, crass consumerism. I find it interesting, and just hang with me for just a second. This is a total digression from from Christmas, sort of. You know in Revelation 17 and 18... The anti-church called Babylon the Great is judged by God. And it is this political, religious, spiritual entity on the earth sits over the waters of the world. That means worldwide influence. And when God judges the anti-church, it's a false church. It's not Christ's real church. It's a false church. It's burning and it's in wreckage and flames. And God takes two chapters to talk about the destruction of Babylon the Great. But this is the point this morning. When Babylon the Great is reduced to rubble and is burning, you know what the world is saying? Babylon the Great is gone. You know who's singing the blues? The merchants of the earth. Why? Because they bought all our stuff. We were rich because of what Babylon the Great bought. I find this interesting that when God judges the anti-church, the people of the earth wail because of consumerism because our bottom line got hurt this is weird what's the bottom line Babylon's gone and man we're not going to make as much money as we used to crass consumerism and in Revelation 3 the last of seven churches Jesus writes to Laodicea the one I think the church in the west most resembles today 
If you remember, this church, frankly, was, I think, a lot like the church in the United States today. Because in their time and in their place, they had all this physical wealth. And they thought, they mistook the physical wealth, financial wealth, goods and services, that's what we have. They mistook that for God's blessing. Now, I'm all for, I'm all for good stuff. I have nothing against good stuff. Don't get me wrong. Their mistake was they thought the stuff was the blessing. And Jesus says, you don't understand. As far as I'm concerned, you're poor and wretched and blind and naked because you don't have me. In fact, in that picture, do you remember Jesus outside the door of his church knocking to get in? So this whole, when we're thinking about Christmas, I just want to say, take a, a, a step of sanity back financially. And don't practice sheer consumerism in your spending and gift giving. Because consumerism and stuff, that's not what God is ultimately after. And that's not God's ultimate blessing. The stuff is nice, we all like it. But don't hang our hat there. That's not what it's about at the end of the day. The kind of wealth God wants us to have is primarily spiritual. Guys, our our trip here on the earth, it's short and it's over. We take nothing from this earth with us. The gifts and the wealth Christ gives us are primarily Himself and the blessings we get with Him forever. So we want to shrink our view of the importance of stuff as we celebrate the Incarnation. And I'm not saying don't give gifts. I'm not saying don't expend yourself for others. I'm not saying anything. Take a step of sanity backwards, though, to put that in perspective so that we're not simply outspending like the rest of the world for whom spending and the stuff is the thing. Because the incarnation is much bigger than that. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. This is not a verse about financial riches. This is about spiritual riches. Or John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave, not gold, not silver, He gave His Son. So that when we're giving, think of it in personal terms. It's not just how much I can spend. It's not how many boxes I can get wrapped. Think of it as God did. Give as God gave. It's personal. It's costly in ways that may not be to you financial. But it's personal. It's relevant to the ones you're giving something to. Just thinking of finances, as you think about finances in your Christmas giving now, and maybe you're ahead of the curve and all your stuff's purchased and your, your checkbook is empty or whatever, If it's not, though, think about this. If you're an individual, if you're a couple, if you're a family, what about as you think about your Christmas giving budget, what about sitting down and saying, let's designate some of those funds to give away in Christ's name to someone else who has less than we have or for whom our giving actually makes a difference spiritually or materially. And frankly, this morning I'm thinking about Haiti and the orphanage that we support, and that is this church's Christmas project. Because we'll buy whatever we can get down there and we'll leave the rest with the orphanage next month from what we give. And, you know, for the kids of that orphanage, they hear about Christ in a place that's desperate for Christ. And and a good day is two meals of beans and rice. That's a good day. What about, this is one example. You guys could think of others and I'm sure you have appeals on the radio and in the mail, etc., But what about designating a portion of the funds you would otherwise spend on yourself or others, each other, 
and simply saying, we're going to take those funds and we're going to spend them elsewhere in Christ's name to celebrate the incarnation that God gave to us to enrich us. God gave his son and we're going to designate some of our giving to others. I know for some of us, writing a check is easy. Whether we have a lot of money or not, simply giving finances away is easy to do. Uh, And that's fine. That's good. Uh, But go beyond simply writing checks or giving financially as you think about giving like God gave in the incarnation. And by that, I mean make it personal as well. Give something of yourself. So this Christmas, do you know folks who don't have an extended family to be with at Christmas? And if they don't, would you be willing to, to bring into your home, to offer people a family and a place and a welcome and a reception and a meal and a celebration who may not otherwise have that? Is that something that's crossed our mind? You know, there are international students in Topeka at Washburn University who are always looking for an American home to celebrate American or Western holidays because it's novel to them. They don't know what this stuff's about. They want to see it. They want to experience it while they're here. And what better kind of household to see an American celebration of Christmas than a Christian household? And there's a group in Topeka that does nothing but connect international students with Christian families. And if you're interested in this, uh, talk to me after the service. But expend something of ourselves. I've told you guys before, and I'll mention it again, some of my best memories of Christmas, I'm one of 11 kids, a family of 13 around the table is a pretty big table. But our numbers would swell at Thanksgiving and especially Christmas because my parents got it. And they would invite, not just friends and relatives, they would invite the uh, funnest characters you've ever imagined in your life to our table. And you know, as kids, as little kids especially, we wondered, what are they thinking? You want me to go pick up that woman? I shudder at the thought. Of, <laughs> uh, or, or a down-and-out relative. It was, a, it was toasty around our table at times. It was interesting, the conversations and the laughter and the appearance of the folks at our table. But you know, frankly, I look back at that now and I love my parents for that because they got it. They were welcoming people who most people would not give the time of day to into their house to include them at the celebration of God including us in His family by becoming one of us. I love that. That in our giving in Christmas we make it personal. And sometimes that's costly in the way of what we're giving of ourselves and who we're hanging out with or who we're inviting to hang out with us. It's a huge thing. Now, I hope nothing I say this morning or at any other time diminishes your enjoyment of celebrating the Incarnation. But I just think, what a great idea to think like a Grinch. Strip away some of the inane, some of the less important elements that get cobbled up on Christmas so that we can remember the best elements of Christmas instead and celebrate it in the best, deepest, widest way. I think Christians... If you guys don't know how to celebrate, I think you're immature Christians. Seriously. I think you don't get God because God celebrates. And God gives us joy and peace. And it's not just, you remember when the prodigal son comes home? Dad throws a party. And Psalm 16 says that our future with Christ in heaven forever is, in my slang, it's parties and a good time. It's joy and pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16. 
So as Christians, as those in relationship with this living, loving, generously giving God, we should of all people have the best times, the most joyful homes at Christmas or any other time. I'm going to close, sorry, with a story. Some of you may have heard this before. I had read it years ago. Kathy was nice enough to point it out to me again. This is called, it's very short. Rest of these, very short. It's called A Story of Christmas. It was written by Bill Vaughn. Bill Vaughn was an editor and a writer for the Kansas City Star. And if you go to the Star's website, you'll see, they're not sure when this story was written, but it's after television was invented, at least, I know that. But they know from 1959 on, this has been reprinted every year in the Kansas City Star. And they said it is their most, their single most requested item from that newspaper still is today. That's a pretty good track record. Tell me a story of Christmas, she said. The television mumbled faint inanities in the next room. From a few houses down the block came the sound of car doors slamming and guests being greeted with large cordiality. Her father thought a while. His mind went back over the interminable parade of Christmas books he had read at the bedside of his children. Well, he started tentatively, once upon a time, it was the week before Christmas, and all the little elves at the North Pole were sad. I'm tired of elves, she whispered. And he could tell she was tired, maybe almost as weary as he was himself after the last few feverish days. Okay, he said. There was once in a city, not very far from here, the cutest wriggly little puppy you ever saw. The snow was falling and this little puppy didn't have a home. As he walked along the streets, he saw a house that looked quite a bit like our house. And at the window was a little girl who looked quite a bit like me, she said with a sigh. I'm tired of puppies. I love Pinky, of course. I mean story puppies. Okay, he said, no puppies. This narrows the field. What? Nothing. I'm thinking of something. Oh, sure. There was a forest way up in the north, farther even than where Uncle Ed lives, and all the trees were talking about how each one was going to be the grandest Christmas tree of all. One said, I'm going to be a Christmas tree too. And all the trees laughed and laughed and said, A Christmas tree, you? Who would want you? No trees, Daddy, she said. We have a tree at school and at Sunday school and a supermarket downstairs and a little one in my room. I'm very tired of trees. You are very spoiled, he said. Hmm, she replied. Tell me a Christmas story. Let's see. All the reindeer up at the North Pole were looking forward to pulling Santa's sleigh. All but one. He felt sad because he began with a jolly ring in his voice, but quickly realized this wasn't going to work either. His daughter didn't say anything. She just looked at him reproachfully. Tired of reindeer too, he asked. Frankly, so am I. How about Christmas on the farm when I was a little boy? Would you like to hear about how it was in the olden days when my grandfather would heat up bricks, put them in the sleigh, and we'd all go for a ride? Yes, Daddy, she said obediently. But not right now. Not tonight. He was silent thinking. His repertoire, he was afraid, was exhausted. She was quiet too. Maybe, he thought, I'm home free. Maybe she's gone to sleep. Daddy, she murmured, tell me a story of Christmas. Then it was as though he could read the words so firmly were they in his memory. Still holding her hand, he leaned back. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Her hand tightened a bit in his, and he told her a story of Christmas.
That's a great Christmas story. So this Christmas season, as we remember the incarnation, tell a great Christmas story. Don't tell an innocuous Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer story. Fun as all that other stuff is. Think like a Grinch and save Christmas. Father, it is a marvel that you'd look down from the, the heights, the glories of heaven, and choose to become one of us in the person of your Son. Lord, the greatest gift you ever gave to the world wasn't shiny, wasn't a trinket, couldn't buy it in a store. It was your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that that God the Son took on and fleshed himself in our humanity that He might become the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, that You loved us so much You gave us Your Son. And Father, help us to practice a thankfulness and an appreciation of Christ with us, Emmanuel, God with us, this Christmas season. Help us to live thankfully. And Lord, help us to see that in the larger picture, the story of our redemption. Help us to tell great Christmas stories, Lord. Help us to celebrate Christmas in all the best ways. Lord, help us to save Christmas, the story of the incarnation from the lesser trinkets that would otherwise dull our eyes to the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.